My name is Willie Bolin. I study influence, persuasion, and leadership in selling and sales management, and I teach people how to sell. In this podcast, we'll talk to some of the world's top sales leaders and see what we can learn from them. Welcome to the Sales Lab. Hello, welcome to part one of our conversation with Ryan Paris. He is the CEO and founder of Superhuman Prospecting. I think I'm going to call this episode Cold Calling Missionary. Listen and you'll find out why. Uh, he runs a company that does cold calls. That's his life. Everything uh, everything you ever want to know about cold calls. We'll, we'll go through it over the next uh, three episodes. This is part one of three. Hope you get something out of it. All right. So I'm here with uh, Ryan Paris. Ryan is an expert on inside sales, cold calling, which turns out to be kind of like a really big, difficult challenge and has been for decades, if not centuries, right? That, you know, we, we have something that is incredibly valuable. We can add value to customers if, if we can just get in front of them and understand their needs and, and, and you know, show them, connect the dots for them. You know, we could all be uh, incredibly wealthy and, and our time would be used so efficiently and and we can't. Uh, it's really hard to get a hold of these people sometimes. And, and Ryan has a whole company that sort of specializes in this sometimes seemingly impossible task. Uh, so, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, t- well, t- first of all, tell us about the company and then how you how you got to this point. I mean, so what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And how did you get here? Well, very excited to be here. I am the CEO and founder of Superhuman Prospecting. We have an outsourced sales development uh, service that we offer with US-based outsourced team members for our clients. And so we generate leads and appointments, build lists, and do some additional services for them so that you know um, they can have top of their sales funnel leads uh, to to close and and build and grow their business and you uh you just love calling people that don't want to talk to you and and getting hung up on you have a passion for getting hung up on and that's what led you here or yeah it's kind of like twisted isn't it to like (laughs) the dirty office job of cold calling i think it was something that was in me from early on when i was younger i would just be willing and dealing like go to yard sales i think ebay emerged when I was like 16 or 17. So I would go to neighborhood garage sales and like sell toasters and racing helmets, like whatever I could get my hands on. And so I think there was a little bit of enjoyment out of seeing how the market would respond to the value that I could potentially present. There was a little bit of that. Also grew, grew up conservative Christian in the Bible Belt up in Ohio. And so there was also, I will say, an evangelical side of my upbringing where I was kind of in this, you know, I was taking, for instance, I was taken to New York City and going around Central Park asking people to uh, accept Jesus Christ as their savior. And while I've gotten out of that since then, I can't say that there was an element of cold calling that grew. Yeah, it gives a a new definition uh, to to the idea of missionary sales, right? Um, but no, I, I think that's I think that's incredibly valid, right? I mean, uh, I try as much as possible to talk about. Obviously, we talk about sales, but then you know, to generalize it a little bit more, that we're talking about influence and persuasion and leadership. And any time you're doing any of those things, at least in my mind, that's that's sales, right? You're you're going in there and you're trying to change the way people are doing something or thinking about something, and that's kind of the critical element. This became a uh, 
a, a boot camp of sorts for you to uh, get used to maybe people not being as excited about what you have to say as you were. Yeah. I look back at that and I, I had a realization about a year ago, like why was it that I was open to cold calling when I got into my professional career right after college? And I saw that, you know, and so talking to strangers about something that they weren't expecting to hear about and trying to help them see the value or benefit ended up being a bit more natural. So as I kind of got into my professional career, you know, I really enjoyed sales, but there was also a stigma against salespeople. And I didn't realize it until I really got into my first role outside of college, um, where I was managing some sales reps and also had to generate leads on my own. That was a very interesting point in my life because you know, I faced a lot of kind of, I don't know if it's discrimination. I don't I think it's a strong word, but like kickback on just being confronted, you know, when someone's confronted about a product or service that they weren't necessarily interested in or, or trying to learn about at that moment, you know, it, it really did make me think about my career. I thought, man, like I really enjoy this activity. But when I asked my, when my friends asked me like, what are you doing after school? And I said, I was in sales. They would kind of look at me like, Ooh, like what happened? You know, <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't yeah, like that do, because, do you, uh, do you need us to order you some groceries, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I thought, well, and this is before, I think really there was, you know, many, uh, d- degrees or programs in colleges that even offered selling classes or, or certifications. And so, you know, it was kind of this existential moment where, Either I could back out and go to something else or kind of continue down the path, but maybe fight off some of the, the negative stigma. And so all these things are building, right? And I continue to do sales development. And so when about 2014, 2015, you know, around that time during the rise of digital marketing, you know, like everyone had a website and everyone was trying to rank high in Google and kind of claiming cold calling is dead. I was still setting appointments for the companies I was working with. So I thought, well, if that's happening, maybe there's like an equal and opposite force going on that people are kind of sick of hearing from digital and, and would like a human voice again. Uh, and that's kind of where the whole thing began. Long way. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, well, I, I love, I love, I love all that. Actually. That's, that's very interesting. I, when I first started, I, I told the story in a prior episode, so I won't dive into all of the details, but you know, I, I was offered a job to cold call and set appointments for uh, this guy selling life insurance and annuities. And he told me, you know, he's going to pay me hourly. And then if I said anything that ended up buying, he'd give me, you know, percentage of whatever he made and all of this. And, and all I heard was you're, I'm going to pay you an hourly rate to sit here and get hung up on. And I had absolutely no pride or, you know, expectation of anything else happening. Right. So when people started hanging up on me, there was no heartbreak. It was like, yeah, that's what I do too. You know, it was at the end of the night, uh, my very first day, it was like eight 55. I was going to stop calling at nine. I was one of those guys call through dinner, you know, interrupting bedtime routines and everything. It's very, very cool. And uh, (laughs) I got to the end of my, the first page of my script. And I said, you know, does that, does that sound like something you'd be interested in, uh, talking about further. And this woman said, uh, yeah. And just blew my mind, right? Just completely overwhelmed my understanding of reality, right? Like I, I had in, at no point did I think, I figured I'd probably work there for a couple of weeks, then they'd fire me because I wouldn't send anything because of course I wouldn't said anything. Nobody says yes to a guy calling on the phone. And then you find out that, well, a lot of people 
actually say yes to the guy calling on the phone, it turns out. Yeah. Um, you know, not not as a proportion of the people who say no, but like <laughs> more than you think. The yeah. reason people are calling you at dinner is because it kind of works and it with with a large enough number. You know, even if you're not doing it well, it kind of works if you just do it enough. Yeah. Um, at least, you know, in a in a consumer setting, because you've got a lot of consumers to work with. So you went where did you go to college? I, I went to um Messiah College in, in Harrisburg and I did a year actually at uh, Palm Beach Atlantic in Florida, West Palm. So okay, okay. spent some time down there. Yeah. And so did you, was it always the assumption that you were going to uh, go into sales when you got out or that just sort of accidentally happened? Actually, it, it was probably a bit more intentional to stay in the business sphere. You know, I was a business administration major, went to, you know, for my MBA down at Palm Beach Atlantic. So I knew I was kind of in the somewhere in the entrepreneurial leadership, you know, mindset, just based upon some of the natural skills that I had or interests that I had within in that space. And I don't even think it was possible for me to really know that sales was truly an option, a defined option until I was in my first job out of school, you know? So yeah. I guess if, if that's accident, maybe, but also just discovering more about how business works and where I fit within that, that realm. And so you were you were doing cold calling for other companies uh, for how long before you decided I'm going to start my own company doing this? Yeah, so I had maybe the the, the average experience. Like I, I would say that when I decided to start something by myself, I probably the, the 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 average number of companies under my belt maybe three. By the time I was like my late twenties, you know, I had worked for a uh, home remodeling company right out of school. I was thrown in as a sales development manager. Didn't even know what that was. That's not even what it was called. It was more like lead generation manager, uh, the new word, right? Sales development. And I had 40 employees, part-time employees that I walked into at 23 and didn't even know anything about HR or the, the, the compliance and best practices. It was really just thrown in. And so I was teaching lead generation and, and kind of cold calling practices to these, these team members. And then you know, had gotten out of that role and worked as regional sales manager for a specialty construction company. And it's just like, as I'm doing this, I, I'm realizing I love sales. And I'm like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And so only having worked with a few companies and I ended up working for my dad's software business for a little while before I started what I'm doing now. And I remember just thinking like, okay, I have three different experiences. Uh, I would love to be a consultant. That's my dream job or professor, you know, like, like you, you are my dream job. Um, but before I get there, I feel like I really need to have a different experience. I need to have true insight or data that shows that I've been able to find something in the sales space that would be valuable for companies to hear me out on. And that was one of the motivations for starting Superhuman is, is having a laboratory for learning about every market out there. And that was a huge motivation in, in, in developing it. And it didn't start with cold calling. It started with script writing and, and training teams on a way to talk to people in the 21st century and, and, and kind of grew from there. Okay. So, so the initial conceptualization, and this, I guess this is a very common entrepreneurial uh, path, right? That, uh, well, I, I thought it was this, and then we realized it was this, you know? I sometimes like the, the analogy of a of a sculpture rather than a painter, right? The painter constructs something by adding paint to the canvas to get what they want, right? They're, they're asserting their will on the canvas. 
And the sculptor, you know, the, you could think of it as that, no, the sculpture's in there. You just have to chisel the stuff away that's getting in the way of the, of the thing that actually exists. And so, so you're, you're sculpting, you start with, I'm going to provide scripts, I'm going to provide training, and then people can have their own, you know, five, 10, 20 people working for their company that do this. Maybe I come in and give a refresher training here and there. What makes you realize that you need to just sort of also have the employees and be able to have companies outsource this to you? Yeah, it's a valid question because why not just go down the road, the road where I thought I really wanted to. Um, but I realized, you know, read some books early on, you know, um, the lean startup by Eric White, Eric Rice, I believe there was a book by Peter Thiel that was out there during this time. And, you know, what I, what I learned early on was when you're building a business, you know, you need to have some general messages or strategies or kind of a manifesto and then products and options are built on top of that. So the manifesto and message should be the, the thing that changes the least. And then the products and things that you offer can change over time a little bit easier. And so when I was out there, I knew what I wanted to do, which was kind of that top of funnel sales development space. That was kind of where I thought my, you know, the mix of talents, passions, and what the world needs, uh, you know, Stephen Covey idea. And Absolutely. so when I chose that arena, it still meant that there was different products I could offer. I mean, we were doing outsourced event lead generation, outsourced canvassing, um, consulting on all of these these areas as well as cold calling, and so the kind of uh, progression was that well, w- one is out there in the market the people that the market needs folks to help call for them because they don't have the time they don't know how to do it or they hate cold calling, and so whenever we would write a script or do training, they'd be like you know what this is great our rep likes it but could you just do the calls for us as well and. We just kept getting that question more and more uh, and realized that while the scripts are nice and it's something to help, I mean, this could be a huge opportunity to meet the market where they are and actually have a growing sustainable business at two, three, four, five X, the, the rate at which we're going right now. Um, and, and that's kind of where that convergence happened of, okay, well, this is what the market needs. There's an opportunity here in the market and we could grow this um, with the underlying idea of like, hey, I'm going to learn a lot too about all these markets. If I apply some of these basic principles that I have, I'll be able to start, you know, refining and adapting, like kind of like chiseling away, if that's kind of that right uh, analogy there, at at every single market and how it works um, to gather that data and then be able to help them even more from that point. Well, and, and, you know, I, I do trainings here and there as, as opportunities arise. It's, I don't pour, uh, pour myself daily into the pursuit of these, but anybody that knows anything about training or probably anybody who's ever attended a training knows that the implementation of that the next day, as soon as the instructor is not looking at you is, is uh, non-existent or, or minimal. minimal. Uh, so I, I can easily imagine that, you know, you could have great scripts, great content, everything you could be saying is solid gold. And, you know, you go and train a group of 10 people and one of them picks up about half of what you're saying and the rest of them 0%. And if you can have control over it, if they're in your office, if you can, you know, really sort of follow up in terms of the the outcomes and the expectations, then that that is probably a, an advantage. And, and in addition to companies not wanting to do their own cold call, right? they don't really want to manage those that do cold calls either. I mean, it's 
it's a very specific, I want to say it's a very rough gig, but you've, you've mastered it. So maybe it's not so rough, but it's something that people just, it's hard to get people excited about doing something that, you know, damn good and well, they don't want to do. Yeah. So, you know, if you can find the people, so you, you have clients come in, they say, uh, Ryan, here's our product. Here's what we're trying to do. We need you to call. And then, and then your reps spend an hour each morning and then an hour. I mean, how do you actually decide who they're using their time for at any given moment? Or does one rep just do one company or how does this work? Yeah, that's a, it, it has been a process. The operation of a cold calling service is a whole nother podcast in itself. Um, I've had to become an operations manager and lean thinking, you know, expert, you know, in the same way that I've had to continually work on our, our sales service and skills. So we're, we're very much about streamlining that process and finding the things that are uh, repeatable and then really isolating what needs to be added brand new for each client or each campaign or each customization. And so when we bring a client on, um, each one is assigned an account manager. And the account manager probably manages between 15 to 30 accounts or, uh, you know, per month. And that person is kind of their outsourced sales manager. They're the strategist. They're making recommendations. They're the customer service rep. You know, we treat you as the customer as kind of the, you're the VP of sales, right? So we're, we're, we're trying to outsource a department. So what are the ways that we streamline to find success really early? Well, that account manager is in charge of the performance. And so they're the ones that are taking information, translating it, and putting it in a format for our team to use. So our team has a template and a structure for every client that we onboard. So we build their ability to learn, you know, the sales side of things in a repeatable, digestible way that doesn't change much. And so the way that they're learning sales or deploying sales is something they learn from the very beginning before they even start working for our clients. And then that way, by the time they get a client, 60 to 70% of what they're going to be doing is, has, has already been built into their their muscle memory, their brain, their daily activity. So they're only inputting something new, you know, 30 to 40% of that action. So for instance, if I'm on a sales call in a specific industry, I might do it the same way each time. But if I have two different companies, I just need to fill in the blanks with their specific product or service knowledge. It's like, it's not like, you know, every time I'm calling somebody, I'm calling, I'm still calling a human. I have the same end goal. I have the same idea that I need to ask discovery questions to engage, but the product might be different. You know, one, I might be, you know, uh, helping somebody to see if we can do their website for them versus, you know, someone who has a SaaS product or CRM that they want that company to, to use. And so they're just changing that product knowledge language, but they're going about the sales activities in a very similar way. Yeah. The, the process is sort of mirrored and, and replicated, but, uh, well, the word that comes to mind, and I wrote it, I wrote it down on something you were saying earlier, is modularity, right? Uh, we have some modules, some pieces of this puzzle that don't change, and then we plug in the modular components for company X and then for company Y, right? Which uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned because I know that for some sales people, you know, people in the sales world, there's, uh, you know, it's like a trigger word, uh, you know, script, right? We've, we've thrown the word script in several times. And for some people, they, they mean, they think that means, you know, okay, I'm, I'm literally reading this paragraph word for word. 
I don't divert from it. In fact, if my manager hears me divert from it, he's going to be very, very mad that I said the instead of a or whatever. <laughs> and you say the exact same thing to everybody. And I think that's not exactly what you're talking about. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So we, uh, going back uh, just quickly, when we were still doing consulting and script writing, that still stayed its own company. So that company is called a separate sister company, Superhuman, which is called H2H Sales Scripts. And so we, it's a separate business, but Superhuman uses the H2H sales scripting methodology for the way that we talk to people in the 21st century. So everyone's trained on that same thing. Now, so that's just going back a little bit. Now, the way that the H2H sales scripts method works is that there's kind of a general purpose to a call. Think of like an umbrella. It's an overarching purpose of a call, which we say is to build trust. And then there's some like strategies that we're trying to deploy, make sure that we're meeting on every call. So you want to spark interest in the product or service, right? You want to sell the next step, not the, not the offering itself yet, right? So, uh, and then finally, what we say is diffuse the salesperson stigma. So have them relax and realize we're, we're okay with them knowing it's a sales call. We just don't want them to feel that way. So there's kind of some of these subjective ways to go about those goals. But then we also have a very practical and technical design for our our call. So there's a opening statement, a question, a um, value statement, discovery questions, and then a close. So those at at that practical level, let's raise that up and say, all right, these, these like steps, you don't necessarily have to follow the written script that we have. We tell our team, you don't have to necessarily follow it word for word. That's not natural, right? That's not authentic. But what we want you to do is make sure you're hitting these points because what we've seen is if you hit these points in a conversation, the, not only do you get more yeses, but you also get more people that show up to meetings, right? And see them go longer down the pipeline than if you just completely shift off of that main structure, right? So it's yeah. not a question of the and a, it's a question of, well, did you ask the discovery questions or did you just give an opening and ask for the appointment right away? Because if you did, you're probably not building much value with that person. There's not much reason for them to show up at the time of the call. You know, yeah. so that's the kind of way we go about it is like, hey, we're more concerned about you hitting these main points. And there's a script if you want to follow it, if you can deploy it, but we're not as concerned as you as we are about making sure we're going through that as, as much as they, they, they can. We're going to stop it right there for now. Please dive into the next episode of the Sales Lab to hear the conclusion of this interview. And by the way, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and to rate this podcast on whatever app you use to listen. Also, share this with your colleagues and friends, and let's continue to have a deeper discussion on all things related to selling and sales leadership. See you next time in the Sales Lab.